Did you sound my favorite hymn? This is my last time. Stand before you as your pastor. I've offended any of you, please forgive me. It's been a delightful and enriching journey. We fellowship together, sung together, heard the word together, prayed together. Laughed together and cried together for many years. Now the Simmons family is leaving you. <clears throat> I went back and forth as to what I should preach this morning. I should take up the theme of serving God together in different places or something else. I thought I would just pick up where I left off, John chapter 17. I don't get to the message, I'm going to cry all over creation. Thank you for your patience and your great love. We love you so. I look forward to seeing the King of glory. Passing on his way. And that great multitude that's coming from, from the Father's coast singing to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. John chapter 17. Out of respect for the Word of God, would you please stand? words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come. 
Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I come no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee. And these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy filled, fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. Good to see Brother Thomas and Sister Lawanda with us. Good to see you. Let us pray together. Our Father, we come to you again in that sweet name of Jesus Christ, that name which you have established above every name, that name to which every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that he is indeed who he claimed to be, Lord of all. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we could come and hear your word. Would you help me this morning? 
Would you help me, my Father, this morning? Not only to speak, but to be an encouragement to your people. One last time. Father, I pray that we would hear the word because it's your word. Oh, preserve them from error, my errors. Give me the tongue of the learning, I pray. I may speak concerning the king on the throne. Now lift up our hearts, we pray. Lift us up heavenward as our cry this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus prayed that his followers would be a distinct people. They would be different from the world. He prayed that they would be set apart by the Father, to the Father, for the Father, enjoying the Father. This consecration was not so that they would live in isolation from the world, but it was so that they would participate in the world. Stay with me. The disciples of Jesus Christ were and are now left in the world to show forth the love of God, the power of God, and what it is to have peace with God. They have been left behind To be a blessing, not a curse to the world. They are the only light, the only light that the world has or that the world will ever see. Christians are the only light in the world. Everything else is darkness. Therefore, They are called, we are called to shine amidst the darkness. They have been called by their master to be the salt in the earth. You notice, not only just the light shining, but we're the only salt. I hate to say everything else is pepper, right? Because pepper tastes pretty good. (laughs) Hence, As salt, we are called upon to heal, to preserve, and to season all around us in the knowledge and kindness of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. We cannot do this sitting still. May I repeat that one more time for you? We cannot do that sitting still. Or as one man said, and not in this context, we cannot sit on our do-nothingness. The people of God, the children of God have been called, have been called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people for the purpose of showing forth, literally to tell everywhere the praises, the greatness of the one who snatched them out of the kingdom of darkness and transported them into the kingdom of light. Just a quick review of where we've been. Jesus has prayed to his Father concerning the glory that should come to them both. 
not only has he been, listen, not only has he been qualified to be the Savior, but he's actually authorized to save. You still with me? He is a Savior that really saves. He gives eternal life or everlasting life to all that the Father has given to him. We have seen how he has received and welcomed the gift given to him from the Father. Just as a reminder, what is that gift? It's a package gift, a package deal, if you will. It's called sinners. That's the gift. Doesn't look pretty good. Doesn't even sound good to a sinless Savior. But Jesus will treasure this gift that is not much in the eyes of the world, but it's everything to Jesus. Everything to Jesus. He has put on display the attributes and characteristics of God. He has shown forth his love in coming into the world and his love in dying for sinners. He showed God's mercy in healing various people of various illnesses. Jesus Christ showed forth the attributes, the very characteristics of God. If we want to know what God is like, we must study Jesus. He's demonstrated God's patience, his determination, his determination not to leave man in his self-destructive state. Jesus also prayed that the Father would preserve his people, that he would watch over and guard them. This was the Father's obligation because his name was attached to them. God is obligated. I want to say it again. God is obligated to care for his people. You didn't put him under that obligation. He placed himself under it. He's obligated to do so. Jesus prayed that they would be unified. Listen, Jesus prayed that they would be unified. He understood that disunity is the devil's tool to destroy congregations. Disunity is the devil's tool to destroy congregation. Satan doesn't mind helping you destroy you. He doesn't mind that at all. He specializes in it. He has nothing new. He's still doing the same thing, and he's doing the same things for one reason. They still work. I think if we studied our God better, if we studied our Savior better, we probably would understand the workings of the evil one better. He prayed for their separation from the world. In other words, they are a different people, as I said. They are different people with a different goal and a different destination. They are called upon to participate in the world, as I said, and be a blessing to it. This prayer of Jesus is unique. This prayer of Jesus is one of a kind. This prayer of Jesus changed everything. So we come back to the prayer that changed everything, part nine. And we just want to look at two things. Jesus prayed for salvation, and Jesus prays again for unification. Jesus prayed for salvation, 
And Jesus prays again for unification. The universality of Jesus' prayer. What do I mean by that? I mean by that Jesus' prayer is not confined to one particular ethnicity or nationality. Jesus' prayer. His prayer is not for the Jews only, and his prayer is not for the Gentiles only. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't on one hand mention any particular names at all. I think there's a reason for that, in my opinion. The only name is mentioned in the whole thing is the fathers, and some would argue that's just the title. But I let them argue all they will. He uses pronouns such as them, there, and they. And I think by using the plural, Jesus reveals that he does not have one person in mind. The depths of Jesus' prayer signifies that he is including men, women, and children. That's good news. Men, women, and children. It's an intercessory prayer. It's an intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayers function in a way of love. I've said this before. Intercession, as I said to my children, I don't know how many times, intercession is when someone loves and cares about you enough, he's willing to go to God and speak to him on your behalf. Intercession. It's a prayer of love. Include men, women, and children. Jesus' prayer goes beyond those who heard him. Beyond. I think the reason Jesus did not mention any, any specific names is because everyone who was ever converted, everyone who has been washed in the blood of the Lamb, everyone who's been forgiven of his or her sins can look back at John 17 and say, he prayed for me. Right here. The purpose of Jesus' prayer demonstrated his love, care, and concern for his disciple and his disciples and their work. Jesus lets us know that what he had prayed for the others applied to those who would follow. It's wrapped up in the word in verse 20. Also, what he prayed concerning participation, sanctification, etc., applied to those who would follow after as well. It applies to us. But let me argue for a moment. Jesus prayed in this prayer, verse 20, for unbelievers and believers. Unbelievers and believers. I know we say Jesus prayed for, he prayed for believers, and that's true. But Jesus also prays for unbelievers. And you may say, where, where did I get that from? <laughs> I kind of read out the verse. He just prayed for believers, didn't he? No. <laughs> no. He prayed for unbelievers. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their words. Notice two words, shall believe. 
That's unbelievers, at this, right? Because until you believe, you are what? An unbeliever. And Jesus praying future, they shall believe. So when I was unconverted, when you were unconverted, running around like you've lost your mind, and you did, Jesus prayed for you. You may not have known that. You weren't around when he did. He knew you and I were going to be, can I use some French? A hot mess. He knew it. But he prayed for us anyways. Furthermore, you and I do the same thing. We pray for believers and what? Unbelievers. The exact same thing. We pray for believers as well as unbelievers. We pray that unbelievers would believe the word. And we pray that believers would be strengthened in the word. That's what Jesus does. That's what he did. Something else, I think, in verse 20. Let me read it again for you. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Jesus expects his message to be taken to others. That's implied in the verse. This is part of our participation in the world. I hope you're listening. You and I are called upon, I want to stress, you and I are called upon to participate in this world, not to hide from the world. The gospel message was never designed to keep to ourselves. Never. To keep the message to ourselves as a spirit of selfishness. We are to give to the world what has been given to us. This is not, quote, a stingy Christianity. Let me say this. We are to give to the world what has been given to us. Listen, we bless God. We praise God for the printing ministry of Chapel Library. This ministry has educated, encouraged, and enriched the lives of many. I being one of them. I still remember when I received my first piece of literature. I was 25 years old. It's a long time ago. It was exciting to receive a package from Chapel Library. To visit Chapel, to join the staff, and to hear from people from around the world express their gratitude for the ministry was both humbling and thrilling. It's fine to hear reports from around the world. It's fine to send literature around the world. And it's fine to know that people are being affected around the world. Now listen carefully. Being excited about the spreading the beauty and glory and majesty of Jesus Christ around the world is a good thing. However, I believe we have not put as much energy in another area. 
I believe that while we were focused on the big picture of seeing Jesus Christ magnified in other places, even to the ends of the earth, we have bypassed Jerusalem. And I'm not talking about that place in Israel. I'm talking about Pensacola. There are some people in other places that know more about Mount Zion and its ministries than people in Pensacola. We bypassed Jerusalem. A few years ago, I brought a pastor down here. He's been pastoring at the time for 30 years. He was less than 10 minutes from this place. Didn't know this ministry was here. Less than 10 minutes. 30 years. We're not here to keep this a secret. (laughs) That's not what we're here to do. My brothers and sisters, listen, I love you so we have to get out of our comfort zone and minister in Jerusalem. We can't stay in the box. We can't do it. We have to come off of the island and sail in the city of Pensacola. We have to. We owe it to the Lord to do so. In order to do that, listen, you have to have, you have to have intentional or make intentional and purposeful purposeful connections with people who don't think like you. Maybe I can rewind that and play it again. In order to do that, you have to be intentional and purposeful to connect with people who don't think like you. If you want, my beloved, Brothers and sisters, if you want to meet and to minister to a little group of people who think like you, that's all you will ever have. That's it. What are you saying? I hate for it to be said. I don't want it to be said. There'll be a church in Pensacola that's effective around the world but ineffective in Pensacola. Because we won't minister to it. The message of the gospel, the message of the gospel is intended to meet people where they are, not where they should be spiritually. No, I used to have, um, let me just say, we got to come out of our comfort zone. Can I just say it that way nicely? I used to, you know, coming up, they may still make it, I don't know. Peggy Banks, children know about that. I don't know if adults have any or not. <laughs> I need one. Peggy Banks. You know, they used to make Peggy Banks, not this plastic stuff that they make now. I mean, they made Peggy Banks. Kind of like cast iron or something like that. Clay, ceramic. 
piggy banks. No, no, no little cap or anything you to let the money out at the bottom. You didn't have that. You just dropped the coin, the quarter or half dollar then into the little slot on the top. And when you wanted to get money out of the piggy bank, you had to shake it to get it out, either to the side or turn it upside down. And sometimes it didn't come out easily. So there was this shaking, this shaking, this shaking. Oh, a penny, I don't want that. You know, when I was young, you could take 25 cents and get big cookies like this, 25 cookies for, for uh, you know, for 25 cents because they were a penny each. You can't get anything for a penny now. But, but you would shake that bank until you got the money out because you wanted it. Well, you know what I, I think has happened? Sometimes the shaking lasts for a long time before you can get anything out. That was one way to get it out. The other way was just to break the bank. Take a hammer and just, just break it <laughs> if you could. That was the only other alternative to the bank or getting the coins out of the bank. Now, why would I say this? Because I think sometimes we function like piggy banks. Or maybe I should say coins. We just like sitting in the bank doing nothing. And God, I think God puts us in what I'm calling piggy bank situations sometimes. He just shakes until we come out. Other than that, we won't come out. And sometimes he just has to break the bank altogether and you don't have a choice but to come out. We can't function like coins. We have to come out of our comfort You have to, you have to, oh, my brothers and sisters, you have to come out of this zone if you are going to reach this city with the gospel love of Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen any other way. We are, as people of God, no matter where we are, we ought to be, we are to be promoting the master's glory, broadcasting his gospel. That's what we are called to do. Broadcast it and live it. You know, my grandma used to put on something. It was, it was called, you may remember this, those of you who are older. It was called CBS Evening News with Dan Rather. <laughs> I thought it was boring, but every, every 6 o'clock, here's Dan Rather. Here's Dan Rather. He used to speak always like he was just serious about everything. So it was the Evening News with Dan Rather. But I found out something Later on in life about Dan Rather. Dan Rather, every morning, he would take a piece of paper and he would write something on that paper and he would put it in his pocket. And he would fiddle with that paper all day long as he was heading to the office. He'd pull it out and look at it. He would write the same thing every single morning. And throughout the day, just that paper, and he would pull it out and look at that paper, and he would pull it out and look at that paper. The paper just had a question on it, and it was this. Is what I'm doing right now helping the broadcast? Simple question. Is what I'm doing right now helping the broadcast? Well, we have to ask our question, ourselves a question. What are we doing right now helping the broadcast? Are we helping the broadcast? I'm talking about the broadcast of the gospel. Are we doing that? 
Dan Rather, if, if this man, if I could say it this way, if he could be so conscientious to spread earthly news, so alert and so thrilled to spread earthly news, how much more should we be conscientious and alert to spread heavenly news? We got to broadcast the gospel. Jesus prayed for salvation. How are they going to get it? They have to hear the gospel. Furthermore, Jesus' design, I'm still in that text, verse 20, Jesus' design was for his people to go everywhere with his message. I think we've become selective Christians. What do you mean by selective Christians? Let me see if I put it this way. Selective in the fact that you see a nice, clean-cut guy over there. You see a rough-looking guy over there. I'm going to talk to the clean-cut guy. I'm going to bypass the rough-looking guy. Selective Christians. Oh, maybe we've reversed it. Maybe we're selective in this way. Let me give the message to the rough-looking guy because he needs it more than the clean-cut guy. Maybe that's how we've reversed it. Oh, my friend, the clean-cut guy and the rough-looking guy need the gospel just as much as we do. Or anyone else in this world, we become selective. Maybe we just talk to certain ones. Oh, brothers, sisters, Jesus' design was not intended for, I'm going to say this as well, Jesus' design was not intended for all of us, or maybe I should say all of his people, to, say, to stay in the same spot or location. Let's stick with me. Sometimes we're at a place for a little while. Let me move on. Sometimes we don't step out of our comfort zone and do anything because we are fearful of what others are going to think of us. The fear of man still has a grip on man. But I think the main, main reason or the primary reasons we don't step out or do anything is because we want to know the results first. Man, life doesn't work that way. I wish it did. You've heard me say, I wish I had the Urim and Thummim, whatever they were, so I can know things beforehand. That's not how life works. Sometimes you have to take a holy risk. No, no, we don't get results before decisions. No, you make decisions and just live with the results. That's what you do. Let me say, if I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Imagine if you knew the result of every decision you were going to make beforehand. Some of you said, boy, I would love to have that. <laughs> Imagine if you knew the result of every decision you were going to make beforehand. Well, you want to make some decision, right? Which would be a decision. Just imagine that for a moment. Wouldn't that be nice? No, it wouldn't. 
I'm going to tell you why. If you had the results beforehand, do you think you would pray to God for wisdom, guidance, and direction? Can I use the King James language? I'd throw not. (laughs) Simply means, of course not. God knew that if we knew the results before we made any decisions, we wouldn't trust him at all. At all. So he doesn't give it to you. You have to make the decision and trust him. You got to make the decision. You got to trust him. Listen, before the decision is made, you got to trust him during the decision as you have to trust him after the decision. He purposely didn't do that because you only got one rock you can lean on and that's him. He set us up. What a good setup. He knew that you and I, if we knew things beforehand, we wouldn't call upon him at all. We have to, we have to, we have to. I say it again. We have to come out of our comfort zone. Why? Because we want this message to go everywhere so that God would be glorified. The lost would be evangelized. Children would be catechized. The church would be edified. We would be satisfied and Satan will be horrified. Got to take the message everywhere. We're not running out of things to say. We're running out of time. Jesus' purpose in sending his people out is so that they would bring glory to his name and that they would be a blessing to the world. Still, something else I think embedded, embedded right here in this verse. Jesus expects sinners to believe. <laughs> Where do you get that? Right out of the verse. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He expects sinners to believe. Jesus is not here making a wish. He does not say, I am praying for those who might believe. He didn't say that. Maybe they would believe. No, Jesus is not giving a conditional statement here either. He does not say, I am praying for those if they believe. It's not in the passage. Jesus expects sinners to believe. He is He is anticipating and expecting people to believe the truth concerning himself. Jesus is so sure. This makes me smile. Jesus is so sure that his work in life and his work in death will accomplish its goal, the glory of God and the salvation of sinners that he expects sinners to be saved. He is so sure. Jesus is looking beyond. But they need to hear the message. Jesus understands that his work is not in vain. His work is not in vain. So he prays for them. He prays that they should believe. Maybe we should say would believe. He understands the gift that has been given to him from his father. And Jesus prays toward that end.
he is also fully aware that there will be opposition. It was opposition in his ministry. He's fully aware that it will be opposition with his disciples. That's why he said, Father, preserve them. Keep them. Sanctify them. He's already told them the world hates you. But the world is where the work is to be done. God sends us on a mission of opposites. What do I mean by that? A mission of opposites. We go to a world of hate with the gospel of love. That's opposite. Where there is sin, we go with holiness. Where there is darkness, we go with light. Where there is pride, we go with humility. Where there is bitterness, we go with sweetness. Where there is cruelty, we go with kindness. Opposite. Opposite. It's distinct from the world. Some are praying to the Father, and he's going to give you another comforter, another helper, another one to draw on side, another one to aid you. If you have heard the message that Christ came into the world to save sinners, that there is forgiveness of sins, that Jesus stood in your place in life as well as in death, that our sins, our crimes against heaven are washed away in his precious blood and that our shame is covered by his robe of righteousness and you have believed that message, it's because Jesus prayed for you. That's why. Furthermore, Jesus' word in verse 20, it's also the disciples' word. He said, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. <laughs> Let me say it this way. We ought to take the message of Jesus and make it our own. Have you done that? You take the message of Jesus and make it your own. His message is to be our message. Paul understood this when he said to Timothy, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. <laughs> I love it. Paul said, it's my gospel. Not just Jesus' gospel. I own Jesus. I own this gospel. It's my message. He should be able to say the same thing. Christ's words are to become our words. His gospel, our gospel. His life, our life. Got to have everything about Jesus. Would you take that message? Don't keep it to yourself. It's selfless, selfish to keep it to yourself. You can tell somebody about Jesus, right? Listen, if you don't know all the tenets of Christianity, you can at least tell someone what he's done for you. If he's done something for you, you can tell him that. I don't have to understand everything about cooking to cook. <laughs> I don't think anyone in here understands everything about eating, but you eat. Or you know you'll die. <laughs> so we might not understand everything, and no one understands everything about the beauty and loveliness of this gospel message. But you can tell people what you understand.
you know, you were lying deep in sin. And the Savior came along and rescued you. You can say, at least like John Newton, I was lost. If all I can tell you is I was lost, but he found me. I was blind, but now I could see. Oh, you can tell people what Jesus has done. That's what the apostles did. That's what Paul did. When he was set free, he couldn't keep his mouth closed. It, couldn't, it didn't matter if it was high or low. It didn't matter who it was. I don't know. Paul may have just got by a tree and said, listen, I don't have anyone to preach to right now. Let me tell you about Jesus. I don't know. I know my friend, <laughs> Harold Rogers, would stop his wife. Deborah, stop right now. I need somebody to preach to. That's what he would do. He stopped preaching to his wife. He would say, I'm having, he would say, I'm having a holy fit. <laughs> you had to know Brother Rogers to appreciate that, but <laughs> that's what he would say. I'm having a holy fit right now. I got to preach to somebody. But our gospel is Jesus' gospel. At least it should be. Because we've been rescued, we want others to be rescued. Don't you want that? If you had the cure for cancer, you wouldn't want to give that to anyone? We have the sin cure right here in Jesus Christ. And listen, we got folks all over the place with this plague, and we won't tell them about the cure? Shame on us if we don't do that. We have to tell them about the We don't want to stand before the Lord and Lord I see you, you got here. But you left a multitude behind. You didn't tell about the cure. But not only did Jesus pray for salvation, Jesus prayed also for unification. It's right there in verse 21. That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus has already mentioned this in verse 11. He had spoken of his disciples' unification and jubilation. That is their joy. Unification, listen, is fundamental and paramount to the Christian life. This oneness, this harmony, if you will. Without unity, there will not be much, if any, congregational joy. I want to just run at that one more. Without unity, there will not be much, or if any, congregational joy. Show me a church that is disunified. That's not even a word, but I like it. Show me a church that is disunified, and I will show you a joyless church. Not even a loveless church. Jesus understood that the joy of his people, listen, the joy of his people is connected to their relation, not only to him, but to one another. He understood that. The joy is connected to one another as well as to him. Unity is so important to the master that he utters it again and again because he does not want us to miss what he's saying. Verse 11, verse 21, verse 22, verse 23. When you get that much repetition, we need to sit up and say, 
Man, he's saying the same thing over and over again. Oneness, oneness, oneness. And here's the motto, the Father and the Son. What a motto. What example, children. He said this unity, this harmony. Listen, I'm going to give you the example how it should be. It's like Father and Son. That's a high calling. This togetherness, this joining has in its focus the glory and majesty of the love of the Father and the Son. Jesus prayed for it and Jesus died for it. There's to be unity among the people of God. When we don't live in unity, when we don't live in unity, we are telling Jesus that his prayer means absolutely nothing at all. Nothing. The Christian community should be one in which we fight with each other, not against each other. We have too much fighting going on among Christians. Somebody put up a blog. Somebody put something on Twitter. Somebody put something on the, on the Internet in a heartbeat that you can't, you can't take down the permanent, if you will, about each other instead of talking to each other. Yeah, I read what he said. Here's my view on it for millions of people to see. Why didn't you call him up and talk to him? Yeah, Satan's having a field day. But guess what? We're giving him everything to have the field day. It's not a fight against each other. It's a a working together and a fighting with each other. Paul understood this. He, He called upon the church at Ephesus to work together to preserve the unity. He said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul understood that without unity, there'd be no peace in the church and the Spirit would be quenched. He understood that. Got to have unity. He called these Christians. He said, look at what Jesus has done for you, chapters 1 through 3. And now let me show you what you do for him and for one another in serving one another, chapters 4 through 6. What is Paul saying when he said endeavor to keep the unity? I think he's saying something like this. I want you to give everything you have continually and striving for unity. That's what he said. If MZBC is going to continue, got to have unity. Got to have unity. And each individual has to put forth every effort to maintain it. Striving continually for this unity by the Spirit's power. Are you doing that? Are we doing that? Maybe, maybe I could just put it a different way than saying, are you doing that? Will you do that? Will you do that? Every effort, striving to maintain, preserving, guarding unity.
In chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul called the same group of believers to work out all that Jesus had worked in them and to stand against all the trickery of the evil one. Listen, he has trickery and he will use every last one of them. I said before, Satan doesn't mind pulling the pin on the grenade and throwing it out there, watching everything explode. As a pastor friend of mine said, he said he's going to come back. He said, Reverend, he's going to come back and make sure everything's dead. If it's not dead, he's going back to work. Paul said, you have to stand against the evil one. He told them that their fight, their wrestling, their close combat was with the powers of darkness. I'm glad that Paul has let us know that we don't have to try to figure out who the enemy is. He's identified him. He says, the wicked one is the devil and his army. It's not flesh and blood. Sometimes to us, we think it's flesh and blood because all we see is flesh and blood. He said, no, it's spirits behind. He says, it's the wicked one. He calls upon them to stand against the evil one, the devil himself. If they stood together in the complete armor of God, they would be able to knock down all the fiery blows that he sends their way. Notice, but they have to do it together. Penguins. Ah, penguins. You probably have seen it when they went to Antarctica or something like that. They go in April, their migration, 400,000 or 600,000. I don't even know how the people count. 400,000 to 600,000. And, and I mean, you look, you look at this, this is just amazing sight to see. What is the emperor penguin I think they are? These big ones. It's just an amazing thing to see, but they have an enemy called a leopard seal. Boy, it looks just like a leopard underwater. And that leopard seal knows when those penguins are coming. When one gets off, if it gets off by itself, it's in trouble. Because the leopard seal, even though it lives on the water, doesn't mind coming on the ice because it's hungry. But if the penguins just stick together, stick together, they can ward off, if you will, defend themselves against the leopard seal. Not only that, in Antarctica, I think the, 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 the wind dropped somewhere a hundred and something below zero. Man, would you want to live out there? A <laughs> hundred and something below zero. Wind, I think the wind somewhere around 125 miles an hour. Wow. Like a category three or something like hurricane. And these penguins, as long as they stay huddled together with all of that temperature below zero, when they huddle together, guess what? When they huddle together, it's 97 degrees. <laughs> if they're separate, they're going to die. But when they bunch up, they don't say, oh, you know, look at that guy right now. I won't get closer. Oh, no, 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 I'm this bad. If you stood by yourself, you died. So they bundle up together and get real tight. And it's 97 degrees, and they can survive. Oh, my friends, listen. If dumb birds can do stuff like that. <laughs> if birds have enough sense, I'm calling them bird, water birds. If birds have enough sense to bundle together, to ward off the enemy, and to bundle together so they can survive, how about the people of God?
Others have to stay. Got to be able to ward off the blows of the wicked one. You don't know when they are coming. But if you hang around long enough, they will come. Satan doesn't mind taking petty differences and making them into something big. Satan doesn't mind using unforgiveness to wreak havoc. Satan doesn't even mind using suspicion. Oh, I wonder what he's thinking about me. Just ask him. <laughs> like when people tell me about the twins, I don't know which is which. I said, just call their name. They'll tell you if you got the right or wrong one. Just say Micah, and he'll tell you, no, I'm Micaiah. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I'll not be here to stand with you. But I want you to stay. does not mean we can't stand together for the same cause. I want you to hold your ground. Stand. 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 Don't budge one moment from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't budge! The moment we start printing, erroneous things shut the ministry down. Don't budge one moment from the love of Jesus Christ. Budge one moment. Don't even budge one moment from the love Jesus has called you to. Don't budge. Don't budge one moment from being kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Don't budge. Don't budge. Don't budge one moment from a life of holiness. Don't budge. Please understand something. Time. Please understand that my family's absence does not mean we can't accomplish the same goal. Building for the glory of God. I think we find an illustration of this book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah heard of the condition of his people. He was burdened. He was burdened as the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah had the king's presence. Man, I wanted to preach from this passage. <laughs> Nehemiah had the king's presence. The king said, what's going on? What's wrong with you, man? You got a sad face. Start unburdening his heart to the king. And what happened from that moment when he made his petition, not only did he have the king's present, the king gave him the king's permission. <laughs> he got permission. He said, I want to build in Judah. I got to go to Judah. I got this burden, and I want to go and build. King to go. Not only did he have the king's presence and he received the king's permission, the king wrote letters. And guess what? He had the king's provision. <laughs> he said, you're writing to the captains, to the guards of the forest. He said, give Nehemiah all the lumber he needs. What? This is a pagan king. Give him everything he needs to build with. Presence, permission, and provision. Not only that, I wish the king stopped right there, but he didn't. 
Oh, I'm glad he didn't stop right there. Let me say it that way. He didn't. The king also sent some captains and horsemen from his army with Nehemiah. Not only have the presence, not only have permission, not only have provision, but he also got the king's protection. (laughs) That's a beautiful story. It's beautiful. And now Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem to build. All provided by the king. (laughs) We want to go and build. But the beauty of this story goes further. As they're working on the gates and they're working on the walls, something, the wall, something is striking in the story and it's easy to miss. I want to draw it out a little bit. They're working, but they're not all working in the same area. Stay with me. They are working, building for the glory of God, but they're not all working in the same spot. Group working over here, a group working over there. I don't know if you paid attention when you travel up, travel up I-110. I like gazing over there at that new Baptist hospital they're trying to build. So I've been looking at it for a long time. I go over there and I look and I look every time. I, it's not a time I go that way. I don't look at the hospital. I don't see how far they have reached. And if you look closely, you see some guys up top, some down at the bottom, some on the side, some over here, some on different floors. They're all building, but they're working in different areas. What are you saying, Clarence? I'm saying we can be in different areas and still accomplish the same goal. That's all I'm saying. We can do it. We don't have, even, even if we're what, even if we are what? Working with a different group. Still can accomplish the same goal. Our goal should be to build for the glory of God no matter where we are. Keep building, my brothers and sisters. Brother Jeff, can't do it by yourself. Don't try to do it by yourself. Because you won't last. This requires a team effort. Nehemiah could not do it by himself. He had others. He said, I got my servants (laughs) working with me. Trowel in one hand, sword in the other as they're building and defending at the same time. Listen, you don't have time to talk to Sanballat and Tobiah. I'm just talking about folks who know their Bible. There's no time for that. There's no time to be held up by people who are trying to slow down the work. There's work to be done. We've got to build for the kingdom, for the glory of Jesus Christ. In other words, we need to do what we can while we can. Let me just say it this way. If Jesus has worked a miracle in your life, Don't you want others to know that? Don't you? We cannot keep it to ourselves. We cannot. We have to take the message. That's what we, as a family, are going to attempt to do. Carry that message. Tell others, don't keep it to ourselves. I told you this similar story before I tell it to you again. I think it's appropriate. I told you about that 14-year-old boy from Chicago who was one day reading newspaper. 
And as he was reading that newspaper, he began to cry. And his mama saw him crying. And she went over to find out what was going on. She said, what's wrong? He says, the story. The story. And she started reading that portion in the newspaper. See, the portion in the newspaper was about a 12-year-old girl who just got her legs operated on by an Australian doctor. And see, this little 14-year-old boy couldn't walk. And as he read that story, he started crying. And he looked at his mom. He said, Mama, you think he'll do that for me? Mama, you think he'll do that for me? His mama said, son, her daddy is wealthy. We don't have the money. He said, but Mommy, can't a boy just wish? Can I just wish? You think he'll do that for me? Mom, overwhelmed, went outside and leaned against the house and just started bawling. But she did something that parents sometimes do. See, if you have a child stuck in the house and it's on fire, you don't care about anything. You just want to get in the house to get to your child. So this mom starts searching through the telephone book. I don't know how she did it. She searched through the telephone book and found out what, hot, what hotel the, hot, the doctor was staying in. And lo and behold, she found it. She went all the way to that hotel, went to the desk and said, Dr. So-and-so here. They said, yes, we believe he is, but he's getting ready to leave. There's checkout. She goes to the door and beat on the door. The doctor opens. He has a suitcase because he's heading back to Australia. She falls down before him and says, if you could do anything, please help. Please help. He said, what's going on? He said, my son, he can't walk. And we read in the paper how you worked on that little 12-year-old girl, and now she could walk. Can you please help? Can you please help? Doctor said, do you have any money? She said, I don't have any. I can't afford you. But can you please help if you can do anything? He said, I got a flight. I have to catch. She said, can you please do anything? Please, please, if you can. He said, take me to your son. He went to the house, and he saw the boy and called for an ambulance. That doctor worked on that boy for two weeks. For two weeks, he worked on that boy. One day, the mom came in, and he said, Mom, go over there to the window. She walked over there to the window. Then she felt a little tap on her shoulder. She turned around. Her son was walking. <sighs> Trying to keep myself. The doctor came in during that time. The doctor said, all right, you're going to be all right now. I want you, for grown-ups like to tell children, I want you to be a good boy. And he went to shake the boy's hand, and the boy wouldn't let him go. He wouldn't let him go. He held a hand. He said, I got to go back to my country. But he held a hand and started kissing the doctor's hand. He said, I got to go back to my country. You got to let me go. The boy said, as long as there's a tongue in my mouth, I will never cease to tell people what you've done for me. Oh, my friends, my friends, my friends. Weren't you lame? Weren't you broken? Want you, you couldn't walk at all. Did not the doctor, I'm talking about Jesus now, come along and work on you till you can walk by faith and not by sight? You should be like that little boy. Laying hold of him, I won't let you go. And as long as there's a tongue in my mouth, I will never cease to tell people what you've done for me. 
And the Lord help us not to sit still, not to just complain about all that's going on in the world and do nothing. Not just to complain about our communities. They're not going to get better staying the way they are. Lord, help us to have the boldness of a lion overwhelmed with the love of Jesus Christ. Take this message everywhere. Children, believe this message. Listen, the world, the world can give you what you want, but it can't give you what you need. Are you listening? At a call unto you. Listen, you can, you, can, you can be sucked into it. You can be sucked into that piranha if you want to. It'll eat you alive. You listening? Don't throw your life away on nothing. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. God has given us his holy son. God has sent the king who came as a lamb into the world. He would live and bleed and die. Does that mean anything to you? Not only did he die, hallelujah, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead on the third day, and that means everything in the world. A glorious resurrection. Death could not hold him down. He rose the third day, was seen by over 500 ascended into heaven. Don't let the devil whisper in your ears and say it's all fiction. What he's telling you is fiction. He rose, ascended on high. Now he's seated on his glorious throne at the Father's right hand, having accomplished everything the Father required for the salvation of sinners. Why should you be left out? Why? Why? Don't you want your sins forgiven? Don't you want to see glory? Don't you want to see the King? Don't you want to see the loveliness of Jesus Christ? Do you want to just meet him as judge and that's it? God, out of great love, gave us a way of escape from his wrath that we deserve. You can think on that for a long time. God, out of love, has given us a way of escape from his wrath that we actually deserve. Just like he gives us grace to do works and rewards us for the work that he gave us the grace to do. That just doesn't make sense. (laughs) But what beauty! What glory! What majesty! If God, through Jesus Christ, has worked a miracle in your life, you want to strive for unity. If there's not love, there will be no unity. And there's no unity, there will be no joy. You hear me? No love, no unity, no joy. (sighs) Our goal should be the same thing, whether here or elsewhere. The glory of God. Our motive should be the same thing, love for God. Our work should be the same thing, loyalty to God. When we do this, it is a gospel that satisfied, and it is also a gospel that unifies the people of God. May God help us to walk in
these truths. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for just another opportunity to stand. What kindness you've shown to us. What goodness you've shown to us. I pray for this congregation. For our joy and our crown. I pray that you would keep it. I pray that this congregation would hold up Brother Jeff like Aaron and her. Strengthen him, help him in every way. Pray that Brother Jeff will listen to the voice of the congregation at the same time. Father, preserve his health. Helps us to Myra. Please, we pray. Thank you for what you've done thus far. Father, ask your blessings on all the children in this place. Father, pray that it would catch on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Make them a burning and shining light, fruitful, pleasing the kingdom. Lovers of Jesus, those who know him not, show them how precious he is. Lord God, show them how precious. Show them how precious he is. Father, for their dogs, we pray that you will continue to work with them. Father, those who are just pretending, bring all of that stuff down. Give them the reality of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this time together. Ask your blessings on us. Blessing on the work here, blessing on the ministry. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand. We are actually going to sing one more.